0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Grace Church. It's good to have all of you here with us on campus this evening. Is this the first Wednesday in 2023? Goodness gracious, here we go. For those of you that are here, welcome, and we're honored that you would be with us tonight. And uh, for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook live, we say welcome to you as well. Just going to give you a couple of announcements this evening as most of you are aware our 21 days of sacrifice is going on right now and that will continue until January 22nd if you need to put that date on your calendar hanging on your refrigerator or somewhere else over all of that Christmas candy that you received um, just uh, please make note of that January 22nd and then uh, also we want to remind you that this coming Sunday brother AJ Holloway will be with us in speaking in our 11 a.m. service so that's going to be a good time and we're looking forward to that look at your neighbor your favorite neighbor and ask them uh, how's that new year's resolution going buddy yeah I'm a fan I'm a fan of new year's resolutions I know that there are some people uh, a few of my friends even say I, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I'm gonna I do it, and uh, I don't know if that's because they don't want to be accountable, uh, if they've just learned it's better to not even try. I, you know, I don't, I don't really know. But I'm a fan. Uh, it doesn't have to be New Year's, though. As far as I'm concerned, um, I'm a fan of resolving to do something different and making a change, whether it's the first of January, the first of March, the end of the end of November. uh, I think it's a good thing. Nobody that I'm aware of on this planet is perfect. Uh, Nobody has it all figured out yet, and that means that every one of us could use a realignment at times, a, a little reconfiguring with what matters most, with what matters to God and our true north values and priorities. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his what? Hmm. And do it when? Once a week, only on Sundays, New Year's. He said, take up his cross daily. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The mention of a cross by a Jewish rabbi would have been pretty shocking to first century Jews. The cross was a tool of torture that was introduced by the Romans to terrorize those that would speak out against Caesar. And so the cross was a form of public humiliation that always represented death. Always. So, when Jesus said that in order to follow him, we must carry a cross, he meant that something has to die before we can live. We've got to die to ourselves. We've got to die to our rights. We've got to die to our feelings, our inclinations, our tendencies, our old patterns. And we've got to die to our desire to be our own boss. And we must die that way daily. So look, it's okay to reconfigure. I'm gonna take a little bit of the pressure off right here. It's okay to change, it's okay to reflect, to assess and make a different choice whether it's New Year's season or not, whether you already blew your New Year's resolution or not. It's okay. Do what you need to do to make your life better. To follow Jesus, Jesus likes it when you do. God bless you this evening.
1: Great to see you tonight. Thank you for being here, and thank you, Brother Jason, for your remarks. Uh, just commented to Brother Dave. I always look forward to what he has to say on Wednesday night prior to Bible study when he comes up to uh, make announcements and what have you. Uh, thankful you're here tonight <clears throat> and uh, have come out to hear the word of God, had a wonderful turnout last night for prayer, uh, church-wide prayer. Um, excellent, excellent turnout that I appreciated so very much and It encouraged me because when you come out on Tuesday night for church-wide prayer, it tells me that you're coming to pray. And uh, it comforts me. It inspires me uh, when Grace Church shows up uh, like you folks did last night. And then to have you come to Wednesday night Bible study uh, tells me that you've come to hear what the Word of God has to say. And uh, For the past couple of Wednesday nights, uh, those that were teaching Wednesday nights, um, I did a study on, uh, it it occurred to me a, a day or so ago that I did not give either one of those Bible studies a title, and I have not looked at live stream to see if anybody in the media booth bothered to give it a title. And then I thought if somebody needed to look it up and watch it later, what would they to you know, put in to search, and um, I don't know if we can go back and edit any such thing. But today I thought we'd just call it the origin. The origin of uh, Acts two thirty eight. Where did it come from? And uh, it came directly from the words of Jesus, as we uh, pointed out, and then showed in the book of Acts where it was fulfilled over and over again, uh, it, at least four cases where it was fulfilled again with the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, and then what I call religious people would be disciples of John the Baptist. <clears throat> uh, the response to those two Bible studies was a little bit more, I guess, than what I expected. Our youth group really appreciated that, and they made it clear, some of them have made it clear to me several times that they appreciated it, and uh, so... I've decided to continue the theme tonight and uh, one more study that I'd like to do on, I, I wanna do the, it's, it's the oneness of God, but more specifically, the dual nature of Jesus Christ, and, which means he was both God and man. He was 100% God, 100% man. And um, the study that I wanna present to you tonight Uh, originated from a formerly trinitarian minister who received a revelation of God in Christ and uh, he was actually with a with an apostolic uh, pastor friend who pastored across the town from him in the state of Michigan and uh, they went on a trip together to Israel and somehow that trip encompassed a an excursion to the Isle of Patmos where John was, of course, when God gave to him the revelation of Jesus Christ, we call it the Book of Revelation. The man testified that while he was on the Isle of Patmos, he asked God that if there is one God, would You show me? I I just want to—I want to be right. I want to know what's right. I want to know what the Bible says. And uh, the man testified that he opened his Bible. Uh, For about 30 to 45 minutes on the Isle of Patmos and he literally went from one verse to the next to the next which is what I want to present here tonight and hopefully uh, you'll see just how dynamic of a revelation this is especially someone receiving it at that level Uh, with God being just amazingly powerful to guide this man's mind and the pages of the Bible that was in his hand I think it's one of the most remarkable uh, stories testimonies that I've ever heard and i uh, just real intrigued by it and again as much as I've taught the Bible study on Acts 238 many times I've taught this one many times and I uh, have had several people actually receive a revelation of God in Christ uh, during this study or at some point shortly after I taught it to them. So I will give you all the the books, chapters, and verses. Uh, You can write them down. If you don't have all of that tonight with you to to, to take notes, uh, you can certainly go back and uh, watch it on live stream. And I'm just simply going to call this The Wonders of His Person, which is what the man who wrote the Bible study called it uh, a number of years ago. I want to begin with Pastor Murphy's uh, first scripture setting to kind of set the platform for this, and uh, I just have felt an inspiration to do that. Uh, Again, I will target our wonderful, wonderful youth group in on this Bible study, but certainly it can be a huge blessing to all of us uh, if you're interested in it. If you would like to be able to teach this to someone else, I will give you all the uh, chapters and verses and comments that goes along with it tonight. Let me start with this scripture setting in Genesis chapter one. Uh, And again, I'm gonna direct this to our young people. Most of them will know the answer via their Sunday school classes. But there's a, a, a couple of verses in Genesis chapter one that has confused people for years. Uh, It confused me for years. Uh, Apostolic people, one-god people, and even Trinitarian people alike, it has confused them, but I do know that Trinitarian people use this verse, uh, these two verses, as a huge foundation uh, to teach and to persuade others that there's uh, three gods. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God is nearing the end of the creation process Um, everything he has wanted to create, create has been created and now he comes to the the final the big climax of creation in Genesis 126 and God said let us everybody say us let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That is real confusing to a lot of people. Unless you understand the oneness of God. To me this is the most Some of the most significant scripture reading on the oneness of God that I can find in the Bible. And once you understand what it means, then you'll understand what I'm saying tonight. The question that has been raised many, many times is when God said, let us make man. When he said, let us make man, he's including someone else. So who is he talking to? I've asked this question many times in Bible study. Most people have a propensity to say that he was talking to the angels, but that can't be true because it's clear that when God created man, he created man in his own image. So we don't have any attributes of the angelic. Now some of you men may think your wife does. I meant that to be a little humorous. I didn't mean for y'all to take me that serious. The one that's laughing the loudest is the most newlywed here tonight so he hasn't learned yet she is an angel I know she's an angel she's up in the air harping on something all the time right so, <laughs> that was good thank you Daniel for setting that up for me <clears throat> we didn't plan that before church either so a lot of people say he was talking to the angels he was talking to creation but a, a person who believes in three gods will tell you that he was talking to the other two That's not true because if you consider the Holy Ghost a God, we were not made in the image of the Holy Ghost as Trinitarians would describe the Holy Ghost. So who is he talking to? I believe for this scripture setting to be true, God was looking ahead to the cross. And he was speaking to a body that he was about to create out of the ground. And that body would be named Jesus. I'm going to show you tonight that that body is the image of the invisible God. He was speaking prophetically about Jesus, the Son of God, the man, Christ Jesus, etc. So if you look at Jesus and where he came from, that would be the most fitting explanation of the image that God created man in. I'm gonna show you tonight, we're not created in the image of God, literally. I'm gonna show you who God is tonight in the scripture. We're not created in that image. The only image we can put in this blank is Jesus because he was a man, he was a human, just like all of us are. So God was looking ahead to the cross, to Bethlehem, to the cross, to the resurrection, ascension, and so on, and he created us and the image of Christ. It's interesting to me in verse 20, 27, the Bible said, so God created man in his own image. So that tells me that Jesus is the image of God because he is God. Does that make sense to everybody? <clears throat> so to begin this Bible study tonight, I'll prove what I just said and in the remainder of this study tonight. I'll go as quickly as I can. I will go from New Testament, Old Testament. I'm not just gonna pick one or two verses and say this is one God. I'm gonna show you all over the Bible who God is tonight. I wanna begin with Philippians chapter three, verse 10. Paul said that I may know him, speaking of God, and the power of his resurrection, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. What Paul was saying here is when he wanted to know God in the power of his resurrection, that's the ultimate in deity, that Jesus being dead raised himself from the dead. God in him raised the flesh from the dead. So it's the ultimate in deity. And then when he said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, that's the lowest estate of humanity so paul wanted to know him in his ultimate deity in his lowest estate of humanity and everything in between i feel the same way tonight i want to know him i've been preaching a long time i've had the holy ghost a long time but it has still not diminished my desire to know everything i can know about our amazing lord jesus christ so let's begin tonight in john 4:24 You all know this verse. You can probably quote it without even turning to it. But Jesus was having the conversation with the woman at the well, the uh, Samaritan woman. And he is giving her discourse on who he is. And later on said, when she said, I know when Messiah comes, we'll worship in the right place and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus point blank told her, I am he. Point blank told her. But anyway, in John 424, he said that God is a spirit. Everybody say spirit. spirit. That's a capital S. It's not a lowercase S, and it indicates deity. God is a spirit. We all need to understand here tonight, and I'm going to prove to you why God is a spirit, why he has to be a spirit, is first of all, God in his true form. In his true manifestation as God in eternity, he does not have a body, soul, nor spirit. And this, as far as I'm concerned, begins the definition of God. He is a spirit. All right? Now we'll go to Psalm 139. If you're teaching this to somebody... If they have a lot of Bible knowledge and they know where all the books in the Bible are, I like to have the person turn to these verses and read them out loud themselves so they can hear themselves reading these words. Um, But if they don't know it, then don't make the Bible study last three hours with them finding the book, chapter, and verse. Uh, You just go ahead and read it. And if you wanna just hold your Bible out periodically, just turn it around where they can see what you're reading is true. You're not making it up, what have you. Again, a familiar verse, a series of verses, Psalm 139, beginning with verse seven. Uh, David said, whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. We just read in John four twenty four that God is a spirit. This series of verses tells you that God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. He is in the earth, according to David, if I take the wings of the morning and ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. So he's not just omnipresent on the earth. He's omnipresent in space. He's omnipresent in eternity, David is saying. So he is, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time in every location, if you will, that man knows about. God is there. You cannot go anywhere that God isn't there. So God is a spirit, and God is omnipresent. Everybody on board? All right, John chapter one, verse 18. John said in his epistle, in John chapter one, verse 18, that no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. I'm gonna really pounce on that in a few moments. But we have learned that God is a spirit, according to the scripture. God is omnipresent, according to the scripture. And now we learn that God is invisible, according to the Scripture. So because of these three attributes, God cannot have a body, soul, and spirit. In his, in his true form, if you will, these are attributes of God that the Bible says he possesses that it can't be denied. All right? Now let's go to First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. In verse 16, Paul writing to Timothy said about Jesus, you can read the prior verses, he's talking about Jesus. He said, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto and no man hath seen nor can see to whom be honor and power forever lasting. This scripture says he is also invisible that no man has ever seen him, but it also says that he is immortal. I want to define immortality here. You and I are immortal as well as far as living forever. Our soul is going to live forever somewhere the Bible teaches. God is immortal. His immortality is different than ours. We had a beginning. We all were born somewhere. God didn't. He's always existed. You can't comprehend that in your finite mind if we're slaves of time. And to us, everything has a beginning, but not with God. He's always existed. So he is immortal. Uh, Even angels don't possess that immortality like God does. God created the angels. Uh, Only God is the only one that exists that was never created. So he is immortal. All right. So God is a spirit. He's omnipresent. He's invisible. And now he's immortal. These are four attributes of God as we know him in the scripture. All right, let's skip over to the left in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. This verse pretty much summarizes everything I've just said. This verse verifies pretty much everything that I've just said. Paul, again, writing to Timothy, said, Now unto the king eternal, unto the king, Talking about God. He is eternal. He is immortal. He's invisible. He is the only wise God. Paul makes those statements very clearly. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. So this one verse uh, repeats the things that I've just said. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Paul said to the church at Rome, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So Paul is saying that God is invisible, but his creation proves his existence. Is what Paul is saying here essentially. Being understood by the things that are made, if even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. So Paul is saying that humankind should be able to look at creation and say there is a God. Creation is proof that God exists. Um, I know we don't hear that anymore uh, in our secular society, etc., but that's what the Bible says. Now, watch this. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. In Galatians 4, 4, the Bible said, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman. So literally speaking, the Son, Jesus, the image of the invisible God did not exist until Bethlehem. In the mind of God, he existed. In the mind of God, that body existed. But in physical, literal terms, Jesus did not exist until he was born in Bethlehem. If you want to be technical about it, he began to exist when the Holy Ghost caused Mary to conceive, all right? So everybody understand. According to the Scripture, the Son, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, is not eternal. The Bible is very clear, and I'll show you in another verse in a moment where it, it, the Old Testament says the same thing. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. The Bible also indicates here that Jesus is synonymous with the image of God. Y'all gonna understand the image of God thing a little bit better here in just a minute. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Let me start reading at verse 12. So I can give verse 15 the the, uh, reading, to read it the way it, it, it should be read. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the Inheritance of the saints and light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Just speaking of Jesus. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God. I've heard more Pentecostal people quote Colossians 115 as a question. As though Paul is asking, who is the image of God? Who is it? It would be like me saying... Who just walked in the door? Uh, he's not asking a question here. He's making a statement. He is saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All right, let's continue to verse nineteen. For it pleased the Father that in Him Jesus should all fullness dwell. What does that mean? In Colossians chapter two, verse nine, he said, "For it plea for in Him Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily." want everybody to hear tonight. I'm going to come back to this towards the end of this study tonight. He said, for in him, one person dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He didn't say in them. If there was more than one God, then that should read, in them dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's not what he said. It's in him. One person dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All right? Let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. We've all heard this. We heard it just a few weeks ago during the Christmas celebration. This has to do with the birth of Christ. Um, the Bible said in um, quoting a scripture verse in Isaiah, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible said, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is what? Not a God not a God down the food chain a little bit. It is God with us. So Jesus is very clearly God manifested in the flesh. All right, let's go to Romans chapter nine, verse five. Hope all of you are seeing tonight that I'm not basing my one God belief off of one or two verses of scripture. We're going all through it tonight. Romans chapter nine, verse five. Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall God blessed forever. So Romans chapter nine, verse five says that Jesus is God. He is God. All right. Let's go to second Corinthians chapter five, verse 19. I'm going to slow down here in just a minute, but I have to establish this platform. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit, that God was in Christ. God was in Christ. All right? Now, let's slow down for a moment, and let's go to Acts chapter 7. Um, Let me see where we'll start reading. We'll start reading at verse 52. A lot of you will remember this. Um, This is when Stephen is preaching to the Jewish people in Acts chapter 7 and they are offended at his message and they begin stoning him this is where Saul of Tarsus is standing in the background later who became Paul um, he's holding everybody's coat so they can stone Stephen this is what caused Paul to be converted this had such an impact on him so Stephen is being stoned so he is kind of being forced to bring his sermon to a conclusion. I'm not giving any of y'all any ideas. All right, Acts chapter 7, let's start with verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, Stephen is preaching to them, and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. This isn't literally. A lot of people believe that it's not. They they were just yelling and screaming at him and letting him have it. Um, Probably all kind of bad words, et cetera. But Stephen in verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, Looked up steadfastly into heaven. I want everybody to understand this. He's full of the Holy Ghost, and he is looking up into the sky and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God me illustrate here tonight how important it is to understand that Jesus is not the second person in the Godhead Trinity. He is God manifested in the flesh as I just showed you in the scripture and in many more scriptures beyond that will teach you that. I like to ask this question and have you consider it this way. <clears throat> Let's go back to the Old Testament before Jesus was born in Bethlehem and um The the Jewish people rose up against Moses and Aaron. Y'all remember that? Led by Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They rose up against Moses and um, Aaron. Similar to this right here. And suppose Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and others started stoning uh, Aaron and Moses. And the heavens opened up to Aaron and Moses. If they had looked up into the heaven, what would they have seen? The answer to that question is nothing because God is invisible. Y'all understand that? I believe if the heavens had opened for anybody in the Old Testament as it did for Stephen in Acts chapter 7, they wouldn't have seen anything. They could have justly said, why are we doing all this? The heavens just opened. I'm looking up into heaven and I don't see any God. You can't see God. The Bible said no man has ever seen God, nor can see God. I just read that out of John. The Bible said that God is invisible. He can't be seen by the eye of man. So in the Old Testament, prior to the body of Christ, remember that Genesis chapter 1 thing, God looking ahead, let us make man in our image. So until that body is born and ascended back into heaven, the heavens could have opened A 100 miles wide, and man would not have seen God until Jesus ascended into heaven and became the image of God. He made God visible. He allowed, God allowed man to see him in flesh in the form of a man in Christ Jesus. Prior to that, he was invisible. Does everybody understand that? Now watch this. Stephen said in verse 55, He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. There is a wonderful prophecy found in Psalm 110 and verse 1. And you've heard it. And this is to me where it is as much or more applicable than anywhere else in the Bible. David prophesying, the Lord said unto my Lord, I don't want to get real technical here and go down an, another path. But when he said, the Lord said unto my Lord. The first Lord is in all capitals. That's Yahweh. That's God. That's Emmanuel. That's God in the heavens. Okay. He said unto my Lord. The second Lord in this scripture is a capital L, but lowercase after that. It's God speaking to the body of Christ, to that human body to the man Christ Jesus sit thou at my right hand until everybody say until I make your enemies your footstool this tells me that the body of Christ Christ in his human form began at Bethlehem and at some point it will not be needed anymore there's going to be a terminate date he said you sit here until. So God is allowing it's being prophesied here that this human body that you're gonna that's gonna be called Jesus is going to ascend into heaven and he's gonna be he's going to be when people look at me, God, they're going to look at Jesus. I'm going to make myself visible through Jesus. So in the old testament, had someone looked into heaven, they wouldn't have seen anything. They might have seen the glory of God, a cloud, something like that, but as far as a visible body, they wouldn't have seen anything. That did not happen until the New Testament when Jesus ascended back into heaven, all right? So this is what Stephen is seeing when he is looking steadfastly into heaven, all right? Now let's go to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Some of you may not catch all of this the first time around, and that's the beauty of it being on our podcast um, a little bit later 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge to give the light of the knowledge that's revelation of the glory of God where? how? in the face of Jesus Christ Jesus makes God visible right? Let's go to Revelation. I want to go down so many paths, it's hard to just stick right with this, but let's go to Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, now we're in heaven. The rapture has taken place, the church is in heaven, the tribulation period has already happened, all of that. We're a long ways. we're, We're at the end of it all in Revelation chapter 21. In verse 23, the Bible said, talking about heaven, the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the lamb is the light thereof. I want to explain what that means. Let's go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And the servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. What the scripture is saying here, and it, it points it out in other places. How many of you have a lamp at your house? Would you raise your hand, everybody? About everybody has a lamp. There's a couple that don't but uh, most people have lamps at their house. And um, when you say, turn on the light, you go to that lamp and you'll turn it on and voila, there's light. But that lamp is not light. It holds light. It's a light holder. If you go to Genesis chapter 21, if you study when, when God said in verse three, of Genesis chapter one, let there be light. That's one word in in, in Hebrew. But if you skip down uh, later when it says, so God created the sun, that's a different word. So when God said, let there be light, that was the true essence of light. It's, it's not the light bulbs in the ceiling. It's what's in the atmosphere. Y'all understand that? That's light. You can't see it per se. You can't look and point it's something around the building say that's light right there no that's light right there no that's light right there it's it's everywhere light is in this building is everywhere that it can shine without being blocked by an object but it's the light holders in the ceiling that makes that possible it's the light bulbs y'all understand that what the bible is saying here is john depicting the throne room in heaven is saying that there's this magnificent light in heaven, but it is emanating from this image of God, this lamp. So in Christ was all the light of God. He just contained it. He held it in that physical body, all right? So let's go to John chapter 17, verse three. Jesus is saying one of his last prayers before the crucifixion process begins in John chapter 17. And he's praying. Um, He is, they're still in the upper room, uh, but he's praying, he's talking, the flesh is talking to God. And so he said in verse three, and this is life eternal. He's telling God this through the medium of his flesh this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true god and Jesus Christ whom he has sent this is what you could say Jesus was praying a prayer request that god let my let what is about to happen my crucifixion but my even more so my resurrection show everybody that you are the only true God and you sent me to be your image, to be your manifestation, to be when people wanted to look at God, they could look at me and see all of God that they could see in human form. So in first John, it's interesting that John recorded this prayer in John chapter 17 and then in his epistle years later in first John chapter five, verse 20, He said, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we might know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Christ Jesus, this is the true God and eternal life. So John is declaring in his epistle in John chapter 5 that Jesus' prayer request was answered that he prayed before he was crucified, that people now have understood that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. We refer to this chapter, this this Bible study's done, but let me review here for a second and and just talk about one or two more things. We often talk about the scripture in John chapter 1, and we all know it, For in the beginning was the word. I call it Jesus' divine genealogy. Matthew gave his Jewish genealogy, uh, beginning with Abraham. Luke gave his human genealogy, starting with Jesus and going all the way backwards to Adam. But John gave what I call his divine genealogy. In the beginning was the word. What that means is in the beginning, especially in creation, the word was what manifested the existence of God. The word, the spoken word, when God said, let there be light, boom, and there was light. That was the manifestation of the existence of God. That was the proof of the existence of God. So all through the Old Testament, that precedent was set. Noah heard the voice of God. Abraham heard the voice of God. Jacob heard the voice of God. And countless other people throughout the Old Testament heard the voice of God. And to them, that voice of God was as meaningful to them as our revelation of Christ is to us. That is the most they knew about God. He didn't have a body, he wasn't manifested in the flesh, none of that had happened. But when he spoke, they could recognize the voice of God, clear, far and above any other voice that ever spoke on this planet. And we all clap and rejoice over John chapter 1, verse, verse 14, And rightfully so, but I wonder sometimes if we really understand it and comprehend it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, the Word was God. In verse 14, the Bible said, and the Word was made flesh. So God didn't need the Word, His words, speaking to people to manifest Him anymore. He had a physical body that could make him visible. For the first time, man could see God because he allowed Jesus to be his image, even though Jesus was a human, even though Jesus was a man. It's interesting to me that as soon as Jesus ascended into heaven, God took on a third manifestation. So Jesus, for 33 and a half years, was the manifestation, the physical image of God, if you will. You could look at Jesus and see God. The Bible is very clear on that. But then Jesus ascended into heaven. So what came next as the manifestation of God? Jesus said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. So these are the three manifestations of God. You have God in the very beginning, manifested as the Word, the spoken Word, the Logos, the spoken Word. Then you have Jesus, born in, in in the New Testament, was a physical human manifestation of God. He's taken away. He's taken away into heaven. But God pours out the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus in us, God in us. So that is currently the manifestation of God that we experience the most. I know there's other things, uh, there's epiphanies that people have and what have you things that happen. But according to the scripture, the Holy ghost is the third manifestation of God. And until the millennium will be the last manifestation of God, as far as man's redemption, God revealing himself to man and so on. I wanna close with this and have everybody understand it. And Again, if you don't catch it this time, you can go back and watch it. I've come to learn and realize through numerous Bible studies through the years, especially home Bible study, that there's two presentations of the Trinity as most of us are familiar and we've heard of a Trinity. you have the, and I'm gonna be very respectful here, and this is only for informational purposes, but you have the Catholic presentation of the Trinity. It's, it's part of their dogma. Uh, it's not Bible. The doctrine of the Trinity did not happen until about 300 plus years after the advent of Christ. And the Council of Constantinople Constantine got everybody together all the the priests and what have you the Catholic Church was in its real infancy stage at that time and he got everybody together all the priests and whatnot and and established the fact that the Catholic Church from now on would would teach and require all of their followers to believe that you had you you had to believe in God the Father and God the Son this was in 325 AD it was not about until about sixty-five plus years later that he called and convened everybody together again and added God the Holy Ghost. So it's interesting to me that a little over sixty-five years they didn't have God the Holy Ghost. They just had God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Ghost wasn't mentioned. But after the the Holy Ghost, God the Holy Ghost was established, this is their explanation. That you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They're all co-existent, co-eternal, and co-powerful, and this cannot be understood by the finite mind of man. That's erroneous teaching anyway, according to the Scripture. God the Holy Ghost isn't a term even used in the Bible. But to say it cannot be understood by the finite mind of man is taking away one of the greatest elements of knowledge in the Bible. And that is who God is. I'm not going to stand here and say that we can understand everything there is about God. But the Bible tells us that there is enough in the Bible that we can understand. And I read some of those verses tonight. It was, it was Jesus praying that men would understand who God is and who, that Jesus was the image of God, etc. And then he thanked God in John, 1 John chapter 5 that that prayer was answered. There has been multi-millions of people who have come to understand and received a revelation of God in Christ. And so for any religious entity to say that you cannot understand the Godhead is, is a lie. I'm being very respectful, but it's a lie because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches total contrary to that. And I hope everybody understands that tonight. And second thing, it's not feasibly possible to have three... Co-powerful, co-eternal, co-existent, all of that, you you, you can't have, somebody has to be first, Uh, can't all three happen at the same time. You you can't have three co-powerfuls. And if Jesus was God, the son, why did he pray? Why did he pray throughout his ministry? Why did he pray in the garden of Gethsemane? Why did he pray on the cross? If he had the same amount of power as God, the father and God, the Holy Ghost, why did he need to pray? to either one of them. And it's interesting to me that when he prayed, he only referenced his father and the Holy Ghost wasn't mentioned. So on the cross, if he needed help and there were three gods, you were one of them being crucified, I'd call on both of them. God the Father, God the Holy Ghost, could you please help me right now? It just, it, it doesn't hold water to me. The second presentation of the Trinity And again, I'm going to be very kind, and I'm I'm not belittling or badgering in any way, shape, or form. God knows my heart. Um, And that is uh, virtually all other denominations outside of apostolics. Uh, They teach a version of the Trinity. Um, I had a very sweet uncle that I loved dearly, um, was a Baptist minister. Y'all know that I very rarely... Call religious names from the pulpit but I'm doing it tonight to stay in contact with the study but he was a Baptist minister and he on numerous occasions explained the oneness of God to me better than I did better than I could explain it to him and um, taught him a Bible study taught him and his wife a Bible study and came close to getting him into baptismal waters in the name of Jesus Uh, but He could explain one God, God in Christ, better than I could, but then turn around and say there's three. And it occurred to me what he was trying to say, and I believe this with all of my heart, is there's three manifestations of God, not three gods. And there's a big difference between the two. So I ask people when they say they are Trinitarian, I ask them this question. How many gods will you see when you get to heaven? And without fail, 99.9% of them will tell me there'll only be one. And that answers my question. They believe in one God. They just don't know how to explain it. And this is what Jesus prayed. Is it so people could understand it so they could explain it not only to others but to themselves and have peace in their heart that I understand who God is and how he's manifested himself through the years. We've all heard this illustration a thousand times, but I'm going to close with it tonight. I'm Glenn Murphy, a dad, Glenn Murphy, a son, and Glenn Murphy, a pastor, but I'm not three different people. And when I was with my mother and my daddy, I was Glenn Murphy, the son. That's the way I manifested myself to them. I couldn't manifest myself as Glenn Murphy, the daddy. That wasn't possible. Y'all understand that? You try it and see how far you get with your parents. They're still living. Let me, let me mother you, mom. She'll point her little finger and say, "You go sit down young person, young lady, young man." <clears throat> but when I was became a dad, I never tried to manifest myself as a son to my two kids. I couldn't it, it wasn't possible. And then certainly as a pastor and you get the point. I'm one person but I've manifested myself three different ways. It's pretty much what God did. You had God in creation, the Son and redemption and the Holy Ghost and regeneration. I'm thankful tonight that I know him now. I've not taught this to make you feel really cool and warm and fuzzy. I hope you will study this. It's not hard. All I did was read. And all of you, I'm sure that everybody here tonight that's of age understands enough about the Bible to teach this Bible study to somebody. It's not hard. I didn't chase rabbits. I just went from one verse to the other. You can mark your Bible like I explained last Wednesday night. And it's easy-peasy, as, they, as the old saying goes. So I encourage you tonight, when you run into people, don't hesitate. Mark up your Bible. Start at Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Put that in the back of your Bible, and then mark the next verse. At the verse you just read, mark the next verse, so you know where to go, and you know where to go, and you know where to go. And you can just set them down and say, hey, let's go through some Bible study and see if you can show somebody a more excellent way. What do you say? Thank the Lord. God bless you for tonight. Love you folks dearly. Thank you for being here and hope you gleaned tonight out of this presentation. Thank the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed and we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday morning. <clears throat> There's not-